Today's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Brewbroker, the marketplace for the brewing industry. With over 500 traders already on board, Brewbroker will find your buyers for your spare capacity or the perfect brewery to create, contract or white label a beer. Join today for free at brewbroker.com. That's B-R-E-W-B-R-O-K-E-R.com. Create a supplier profile to fill capacity or sign up as a buyer to start your tender with their easy-to-use platform. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hop Forward Podcast. It's summer. In summer. Um, Yeah, and at long last, the eternal winter has finally ended and the sun has got his hat on. Hip, hip, hip. Hooray. Um, So I thought this week we would talk all about lager. Now, a bit of a divisive issue lager because not everyone likes lager but regardless of whether you think it's bland or boring it is still the biggest selling style of beer and so I thought for the purposes of podcasting I would crack one open um so I've uh, for the purposes of podcast recording one of the many perks of doing what I do I've cracked open a Thornbridge Lucas um see that's why you tune into this podcast right you know, tune in for all the interview stuff. You, you tune in to hear the sound of a man drinking beer. That's where the gold is right there. <laughs> of course you do. And around a, a year ago, maybe, I came across Manchester Union Brewery that are a lager producing brewery. And I was like, man, they'd be really great to have on the podcast talking about lager. And obviously Manchester is not far away from Sheffield. If you've ever travelled between Sheffield and Manchester, it is just the most fantastic drive ever. What amazing journey. So I, I love Manchester. Manchester's great. And I've, I've never been before um, on a kind of brewery excursion. And it was a, it was a little bit of an eye-opener for me because I, I knew, obviously, there's a lot of breweries in Manchester, but... Having parts up near the train station, um, you pass Trap Brew Co, Alphabet Brewing, Wonder Beyond, and then there's obviously Cloudwater's just around the corner from Manchester Union Brewery. There's all these breweries and these old railway arches and stuff. It's amazing. Um, so, and I know Beer Clock Show are having their Crimbo Crawl there this year, so I'm hoping to go on that. And those guys are great and I'm looking forward to catching up with Stephen Martin and the other listeners. Um, anyway, yeah, Manchester, amazing Oasis and stuff. <laughs> there you go. I love Oasis. Liam Gallagher. Come on. Can't sing anymore, but we love him. Where was I? Yeah. So lager, obviously this time of year it's hot and as much as I love a good impy stout with waffles in it and blueberries and everything else in the sun, cornflakes, whatever you can lay your hands on, um, sometimes you just, you don't want to have a beer that you experience, you want to have a beer that you drink. And so lager obviously takes that box, good ones, not great ones, um, 
But why not produce really good lager? I'm loving seeing this resurgence that's finally happening of breweries making lagers and making really, really good lagers because they never went away. You just had to go to your local bottle shop and get a European lager where, you know, it's, it's brewed properly, it's fermented um, under the right time scales. It's not just t- churned out for some macro brewery for eight hours. It's left in tanks for weeks at the right temperature and all the rest of it. So I took a trip over to Manchester to meet Will from Manchester Union Brewery and Ian, who's their brewer. And I got to look around their brew house. Amazing piece of kit and doing decoction mashes and all the rest of it. <laughs> they had this, um, oh, I can't remember what it was. Was it a filter or it was a pump or something, which they called the hipster thimble. The hipster thimble. Oh, come on. Yeah, Roy. Amazing. Um, yeah, so, and then after the interview, um, Will let me sample some of their beers. So I tried their Pilsner and their Black Lager and they were just beautiful like crisp nutty both beers you drink and beers you experience all in one glass and i took some photos as well and the photos of them just say it all you know go on hotboard.beer and have a look and you'll see exactly what i mean and yeah just amazing things in store for these guys i think they're going to make a real difference not just to manchester but the uk beer scene with their beers so we're going to get into today's episode. If you like the Hot Four podcast, make sure you leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you can leave reviews for podcasts on the toilet roll, aka Twitter. Um, follow us on social media while we're talking about it at Hot Four Beers and subscribe. You know, if you subscribe to the podcast, then it'll get delivered straight to your device when it's out. And then finally, make sure you check out hotfour.beer, which is our website, for more podcasts like this one some articles and stuff and a bunch of services whether you're looking for help with your branding marketing or um, some business coaching or brewery consultancy we'd love to help you out so that's hotford.beer so today's episode with will from manchester union brewery talking all about lager beer So I'm here at Manchester Union Lager with Will. Hello. Hello. How's How it going? You? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Good. So, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, how you got into the beer business. Uh, yeah, so um, we are, yeah, Manchester Union Brewery. There's four of us. There's myself, Will Evans. Um, there's Jamie Scarehill, who does marketing. Um, there's Ian Johnson, who, Dr. Ian Johnson, uh, who is the brewer, and there's Simon Pogson, who does a little bit of everything. Um, he's got like a few different businesses, a media company and um, property developer, and he's come on board as well. He's got a few bars in time. So the four of us, um, it, it was the three, so initially it was me, Jamie and Ian. Um, I'm, like, I've known Jamie for a few years, well, probably about 10 years now. Um, from the bar industry, so my background obviously, and, and I currently run Cave Direct North for Cave Direct. Mm. Uh, we are like a beer importer and distributor in the UK, and we yeah, so we sell to all the well, so a lot of the bars um, and restaurants and hotels in um, not just Manchester but everything north of um, Leicester, so mm. Leicester all the way up to Edinburgh, Glasgow. Um, that's the Cave Direct North business, and then the rest of the Cave business looks everything south of that. So I would obviously 
um, sell to all these bars. I got to know Jamie through that. He used to run, he used to own uh, 2022 before he sold it to the current owners. Um, that was very much, before he sold, before it was sold, it was very much a bar, but event space, art gallery, you know, creative hub, really. Um, and also, he, um, yeah, he would do, he would run Spunkademia, uh, longest running club night in Manchester. His background, I guess, is marketing, so he currently runs um, uh, the marketing for Skittle, which is an online ticketing agency. So I, so me and him talked for a long time about setting up a, a beer brand. It's been something that I've wanted since I was 16. Mm. Um, the brewing side of it is of interest to me, but I've got no patience for brewing. Um, I, <laughs> particularly lager. <laughs> particularly, yeah, particularly lager, yeah. I mean, I've brewed before, and it's nice, but like I always crack the beer open before it's ready. Um, and I knew, you know, like, I, I guess it's really important to understand what your flaws are. I'm absolutely waiting for beer to brew is one of the problems I've got. Uh, so I knew that I couldn't be the brewer. Um, I, I wanted to be involved in that process and I wanted to be involved in what I wanted the final beer to be, but I knew I, I couldn't be that. Um, Jamie as well, he did the course uh, for brewing. He understands brewing, but he'd be the same of the same sort of opinion, I think. So we needed someone who had a real passion for not just brewing, but a passion for lager brewing. Mm. Um, and then say I was at a I was at a blackjack um, tap one Sunday after a rough night from too much drinking the night before, and I didn't want a big hot bomb, um, something strong. I just wanted something really easy drinking, like a lager. And um, someone in the group I was stood with said, "Oh, you want to try Ian's uh, Ian's beer?" So I went up at, at the time. Ian was one half of Six O'clock Brewing. Um, and he was really experimenting with lager at the time, uh, brewing Czech-style pilsners, he called the Checkmate, he was brewing Stein lagers, Zoigels, he was doing all these different beers, but I tried his lager, and because he was on this little one-barrel kit, um, and uh, I don't know whether it was on key keg or, or, or steel, but um, it was really, really flat, it was almost no carbonation to it whatsoever. But the body and mouthfeel was was spot on. Mm. It was uh, it was fantastic, and it really kind of shook me to think. You know, and I remember saying to him, "Why, you know, why aren't you making this more? Or why aren't you? So you can only make like six six kegs at a time. So I was like, why isn't this any anything bigger? Or why haven't you done more with it? And um, you know, the uh, the answer was, well, I want to. That's what I want to do. Because at the time, he was, um, I think, a software programmer for Tesco's. Right. Um, so he wanted to get out of that and make brewing his for his full time his full time passion. So I don't know whether he was. I, I hear he wasn't expecting me to call him back, but I went and spoke to Jamie and said, "Listen, we need to go meet this guy." And uh, and the, the rest is history. Really, we, it started us on like a three year journey trying to get the lugger brewery up and running. Um, we had loads of complications along the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, by people not wanting to make us the kick because Ian was adamant it was going to be decoction, mm. uh, decoction mash brewing. And that obviously led us to loads of problems just trying to get people that could make the kit for us. Yeah. So, I mean, what, why, apart from some of the reasons you just highlighted there, why focus solely on creating lagers? Because surely you're contending against the big boys like Molson Coors when you're into that arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you're not setting yourself up for an easy life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, really, good, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, we're, we're seeing that right now. Um, we've been pulled out of bars because we've been tech, we've been selling more beer than, can I mention 
beers by right. name. So like so Carlsberg, for instance, we were selling more name, but more beer than uh, than Carlsberg. So one of these bars pulled us from it because they had to hit their quota for Carlsberg. Wow, my um, Which you know, so that's a wee bit of a hit for us. So you know, at, at the very start, it was almost like you know, two steps forward, three steps back mm. because of it. You know, but. Um, but that's, I guess, that's the nature of the of the business that we we're operating, and we knew that was always going to be an issue, and we knew that the big guys had lots of money to. Um, but that's always been the case, you know. Even before craft became big, that was always the case. The big guys had money to dominate the the um, the market, so we knew that was going to be an issue. But we also knew that, you know consumers vote with their wallets don't they so if someone wanted a bigger taste in beer and, 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 and bought into the the reasons why that beer was better we knew that people would want it um, and you know we I guess it's finding those um, those bars and those restaurants that actually you know want to deliver that to their to their customer but in terms of why lager um, lager was always really important to us, um, for me, um, at uh, you know, at Cave Direct, lager is it's, our, it's still our biggest style of beer that we sell. Mm. We bring in uh, Polaner Hell from Munich, and it's you know, it's it's huge for us. And whenever I go into a bar and they don't have a lager that I like, it's a really disappointing experience. You know, if you walk in, I, I'm not mentioning the brands by name, but if you walk in and pick up a, a beer um, and you're not getting anything from the from the body, the mouthfeel, the flavour, uh, the bitterness, there's nothing. There's just nothing there. It kind of detract, detracts from the whole experience of that of that visit, and it's almost like just drinking empty calories, isn't it? So yeah. you feel a bit of a waste. It, it just feels like a waste of a fiver because you're not getting any enjoyment from it. It's like it, I guess it's just the same as you know picking up a really nice juicy stick, and then getting something really you know just a really you know shit robbery um, <laughs> rump you know yeah. but not the rump stick is bad, is bad but like you know it's, it's like it's whenever you're if you're only going out and having two two or three beers mm. um, then making those th- two or three beers really enjoy uh, enjoyable is is you know um, is really important so so for me you know and lager is such a you know, for a long time, when it, as craft was exploding, people almost discounted lager because because the option was really shit bland lager or really interesting punchy IPAs or stouts or sours. So, um, so for us, that side of it is is one of the motivating factors. Um, the reason why we ended up being solely lager is because we initially at the start we were going to do two products. We were going to do a pale ale and a lager. Um, However, we knew that if it, we got to the stage where we had two products and both were selling, um, and we knew that cash flow would be, is, it, I mean, even now that like, we, we have daily, daily concerns about cash flow. Mm. So um, we knew that if it got to the stage where we were looking at orders coming in, and the choice was to either produce an ale that we could turn out in two, three weeks, or a lager that we could turn out in six to eight weeks, we knew that we would be sucked into the to to the trap of producing that ale. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we wouldn't be making lager as much as what we want to make. Um, and um, yeah, we you know, we wouldn't have the focus on the lager that we that we want to have. So it was it was it was almost from that understanding um, that that made us realize that we had to be pretty resolute in the. In the decision to only brew lager, 
who's to say in the future that we that we won't bring something else? Um, there's no there's, there's absolutely no immediate term uh, uh, plan to do that. Um, we've got loads um, of styles within lager to experiment with first. So Ian's always been chopping at the bit to brew Zoigels. We've, you know, we've brewed a, a black lager, proper bohemian black lager, um, which we're really proud of. Um, it's only 4.3. I think we're going to raise that up to 4.8, make yep. it a bit more of a bolder, um, a bolder beer. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ian's, you know, Ian's really looking forward to like Marzins, Box, um, uh, even double box things like that. So, oh, do you know? I like. Please make a double box. Yeah. I've been looking for one for ages. I read um, Pete Brown's Miracle Brew, and he talked yeah. about it in there. And I'd had one that Thornbridge made. This we're talking several years ago now, and I just it. I just remember it being a really amazing beer. Yeah. And I've really struggled to find one since. Yeah, if you get a good one, if you get a good, I mean, um, so again, not to keep mentioning Paul Hanner, but whenever we go over for uh, the Stark Beer Fest in um, April or May, mm. uh, uh, but yeah, you're drinking big um, liter steins of 8% Bach beer. Yep. And, you know, and, but it's, it, after, after the first one, it doesn't feel like, I mean, even during the first one, it doesn't feel like it, but it's just um, a whole different drinking experience. Mm. Um, again, it's not something that you will drink on every visit to the, to the pub. Uh, but it's just again it's just celebrating lager isn't it and it's making people understand that maybe maybe not in terms of um, complete uh, the size of the spectrum but certainly the spectrum within lager is just as varied as it is within pale ale oh sorry within within ale sorry it's just that the size of the spectrum is bigger with ale you know it's mm. but with lager certainly the array or the variation is there it's just maybe on a, a slightly tighter um tighter path but but you know if if people understand that we can take people through like i've i've done different lager talks within my day job to you know telling people about lagers and um, and showing them the difference, they can have like they can have five or six. They can even have five or six different pilsner style beers, and see the variation within the pilsners. You know, before you know, that's before you bring in the Keller yeah. beers and the Barks and the Dunkles and the Bohemian Blacks and mm. the you know all of that. So like again, just instilling that little bit of passion back into lager again would yeah, be totally. would be would be nice. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about craft lager coming for years, yeah, and, and you know it being the next big thing and all the rest of it. But do do you think? We're starting to see actually starting to see a move towards that. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing. I've been having a lot of thought about this recently. Um, about well, you know, the 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 use or non-use of the word craft, um, mm. and you know, you know, I guess we've we've kind of missed the boat in the country about what craft you're defining what craft is anyway. Um, uh, and there's a, and undoubtedly there will always be. Um, the big, you know, the big boys that are buying up, so like Airbnb, for instance, buying up Camden, and what you know, and whether that should be deemed craft or, or whatever. But but whether um, but whether they can, whether anyone uses the term craft or or not, it's um, that they will still be able to any all, all those big guys will be able to almost conjure up that what it feels to the consumer about whether the craft's on the label or not they'll be able to generate that that feeling within the consumer mm. through marketing um, to develop that anyway so it's I guess for us as the smaller independents it's um, 
it's speaking to the consumer in a in a smarter way yep. about what it means to us, um, the value of it that it means to us, and almost like the value that it should mean to them. Not every not every consumer is going to care about it. Um, there's going to be a lot of consumers that just I mean it's the same as how the market was you know ten years ago mm. um, or even I mean you know whenever Stella first entered the marketplace and you know you were comparing to all the you know the the, the beers that were available then you know it would have been like you know Foster's and Carling and you know those, those sort of those sort of pretty standard deals and then whenever Stella came in everyone was amazed by it but you compare that Stella to what it what it is now and it's a shadow of itself so that's yep. always going to happen with the big brewers so so yes the big guys are coming in and making craft craft beer um, but sorry craft lager but then you know there will always be that demand to satisfy the shareholders so they will undoubtedly um, they will undoubtedly produce a, um, a cheaper lager yeah. and hand in hand with producing a cheaper lager will become will mean that the quality um, vanishes I mean I, I've mentioned one already I mean you look at the price on supermarket shelves like I even even a year ago compared to now and it's it's down almost um, by by 50% you know so that's come from a certain way you know and you, you taste some of these beers and you know you can almost taste like um, you can taste egginess to it so it feels like they're rushing through rushing through the beer so um, for a smaller producer um, doing this where they where we have to give the time because we're basing everything on quality it's not about you know yes we have to be clever with marketing and yes we have to do what we can to build the brand um, but if the beer is not right we're that would be absolutely yeah. fall on the first hurdle whereas the big guys can you know can buy distribution you know by offering people like thirty thousand pounds um for for a line and we just couldn't compete with that we would struggle to to do a salary install you mm -hmm. know uh, for for some of the, for some of our customers you know so, so they would do they would do a salary install give a really cheap price and pay like thousands of pounds for the listing so yeah. we can never compete with that so number one what we have to compete with is quality uh, and that will always be there will always be i mean we see that you know, in, in butchery, we're seeing it in bread, we're seeing it in cheese, we're seeing it in tailoring, all the old crafts coming back and people mm. want quality, so. Absolutely. So that, that's, yeah. So um, how, how do you find selling lagers? Because obviously you, you touched upon um, the thing just there with the big boys putting in, you know, all the lines and everything. Yeah. Um, you were saying before we started recording about how you've even been muscled out by them when you started selling more. Um, beers like what? What are some of the challenges specifically that you find that may, maybe some of your next door neighbours um, aren't finding so much? Yeah. Um, well, your yeah, number one is that one. If we, um, so we, to your point, we we put. Uh, I'll not mention the. I'll not mention the the the, the bars. But um, yeah, we had our beer. In one of our earliest and biggest. Um, bar that we were selling to had to stop selling the beer because it was out selling Carlsberg and they had uh, they had volume commitments they had to meet with Carlsberg so we um, we were obviously were collateral damage to that but but you know we understood that was going to be the case um, right from the start um, so that's I guess one problem um, the other one is you know if one of the big guys put put in a um, a seller install they might say well we have you if say a customer wants six six beer lines they demand two lager lines mm -hmm. the bar is naturally going to want like say a pale ale um, an IPA 
um, potentially a stout, but paleo IPA, possibly two pails, um, and then a rotating beer. And it doesn't give them another any chance really to put a lager in there because yep. they've got their lager, you know. So, um, the, again, the big guys would probably say that lager is 65% of all beer sold, so you need to have 65% of your beer lines attributed to lager. So that, and they would have, you know, four or five lagers they could put into any one bar. So that, and they just want that volume. For me, you know, we wouldn't, I would never, even, uh, even you know, in the day job with Cave, even though we have all these lagers, I would never expect a bar with, with five, six beer lines to put in four lagers because, yeah. you know, you're just, you're not, <clears throat> a lot of our customers um, no longer see the bar next door as the competition. It's it's looking at Deliveroo and Netflix as the competition. So it's how you do how do they get people out of their house? Yes. Yeah, so um, so cask is is one that we should that that uh, I, I you know I've got to hold my hand up at Cave. You know we're uh, sorry Cave North. Cave Cave side they're doing it well. We've not really so far really jumped on board the calf train yet. But like um, but it's something that we will be changing because that is something that can be delivered in a pub that can't be delivered at home. Mm. So, so that's one thing. The other thing is um, having an array of beer styles for the consumer to try. So, like, if that customer is leaving the house, yes, they can go down to the local bottle shop and buy five or six different beers. But they're probably spend if they were buying five or six really unique beers, they're probably spending close to thirty pounds on five or six really unique yeah. beers. You know, so big, big dippers, big stouts. You know, whereas you can walk into a bar that's doing it well and trying little samples before you actually choose the pint that you're that you're um, that you're that you're selling or that you choose to, to drink so in that scenario where does lager fit um, because if a bar needs four or five interest uh, almost like excite products there to, to encourage customers to come in and try something then they only have one or two beer lines for lager so um, for me the bar would need possibly an entry or like in a lower ABV beer um, world lagers in massive growth at the moment and then maybe craft so that's three but I would just say world lager and craft is you know yeah, where it's, yeah. it's and when I say the world lager you know I'm looking towards like Germany and, and Czech Republic as opposed to you know um, Italy and Spain yeah. Yeah. you know so um, you know countries where lager is built into the the customs of the country really and there's a there's a love and understanding for lager mm. that, that for me that's really important so yeah so as, as four directors three of whom have got other jobs like how, how are you managing to balance all that within a brewery yeah um that is also a challenge um <laughs> so uh, ever since we ever since the um the early stages of planning we always met up so whenever it was originally just three of us um, um, Jamie, Ian and myself we would meet up on a Monday night in um, generally in Port Street and we'd sit upstairs and we'd do our planning and literally we would just we would talk about what we've done that week um, talk about any challenges or anything that we you know that we need to address and then everyone has their own specific job so they go out and do it so for me it was always sales because that's what I do at Cave Direct. That's what I really enjoy. I love talking to people about beer. Yeah. Uh, so talking, you know, so sales is. Uh, it, it sounds a bit more. It sounds a bit more um, almost corporate when you say sales, but like, but you know, for me, it's more about getting out there and telling people about the beer that you've got on offer, sort of thing. Um, with 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 Jamie, it's the marketing. So he gets on and just you know goes out and you know talks to people about the branding, talks to, you know, the people we were working with on the branding, then looking at what the 
what the plans were for the future. I've got a wee bit of that in the background. So we would maybe go off and have a little, almost like a little sub team and mm. meet up, meet up during yep. the week and you know talk about the branding and and work on the elements that we liked or didn't, um, and then worked out a plan for launching. Um, um, Ian was always the brewing side of it. So <clears throat> yeah, you mentioned he's in here full time. Um, so he'll be in brewing during the week, but in the planning, you know, he would take the lead on what kit we needed, working with those suppliers, working with the, um, working with the, you know, the suppliers of the actual ingredients that we needed as well. Um, and then Simon came on um, right near the end. We just needed a little bit of an extra push to get us over the line finance-wise. Mm. Um, so Simon came on, and he was a real good. Um, gives a lot of impetus to just to just actually get on with it and, and get it over the line because we there wasn't any more there wasn't any more um, uh, excuses yeah to not to not go on you know so that was the I guess the last hurdle for us but you know everyone has their own their own specific job mm. so um, you know and for me with you know a lot we do all our distribution through Cave Direct so for me then that makes a lot of sense so yeah, if, I'm totally. out, if I'm out talking to customers um, I can talk about the lager and then again we can go in with a full package so we can you know talk to people about their imported lager a local lager then all these great um, pale ales IPAs and yep. stouts that we have as well so for, for me it's 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 I can fit it in quite yeah. quite nicely so what, what are some of the other challenges you face running a lager brewery because I mean what, what, one of the things I've noticed and pointed out when I, I met you first of all through your doors is like you're in a railway arch and obviously yeah. You know, uh, network rail sold network rail sold all those off. Yeah. Um, you know, does that put instability in your future? And you, what, what other sort of hurdles have you, you come across? Yeah, the, um, on the network rail thing, I don't know. So they sold it off to the Arch Company, so, mm. and I've seen all the noise about how terrible that was for for people, predominantly down in London, that have had long term releases, and then it's it's all been switched. Not much as we we had a rent increase last year. It was it was um, it was high, but not I not not like staggeringly high. Yeah. Like, like some of the horror stories you've heard. Um, so that we we don't know. Um, that so far that seems pretty standard. Um, after that, the for, for us the biggest the biggest hurdle is you know is is literally how do we talk to those people you know so it's it's pretty clear we work we work in craft beer it's pretty clear how we talk to the craft beer drinker um but being a lager brewery we have to talk to you know the the peroni drinkers mm. and the australia drinkers and the you know we have to talk to those people who um want wanted to feel that they're drinking a premium product also want to drink that think that there are um they, they, you know, they know what they're buying. So we need to figure out a way to kind of cut through all the noise um, and justify why they have to part with their five, six pounds um, to buy ours as opposed to a Peroni. Yep. So depending on where you are, obviously, you know, the, the price the price of those beers varies from anywhere from, what, 450 to 650, yeah, depending yeah, on what part of the country you're in and what part of the, the, uh, the city that you might be in. Um, and that's a lot of money to spend. So if a, if a customer is a is an avid Peroni drinker, for instance, um, it's like, what do we need to do to make him convinced that he should be parting with the same amount of money for mm. a beer just down the road? Um, you know, we believe our beer is better, but like, but they they might think actually it's produced by, you know. 
four part timers, you know, yeah. that don't know what they're doing. Um, so, so we need to then understand how we speak to that person and give him the confidence that he should be spending that money on that beer. And that's a bit of a that's a bit of a challenge, but we're working on that. So that just means that we have to do things a little bit differently. So we're we're launching a video about about the brewery. It's only like uh, that the whole idea of the video. We want it to make to look quite slick, but we also um, yeah we do, we just want to be able to then give across some of the fundamental reasons why they should be buying yeah. their um, uh, Manchester Union Lager. Mm. Do you think in the UK at least, like lager still suffers from a bit of an image problem, particularly from how it was marketed by certain brands in the 90s, you know, like, oh, lager, 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 and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then on the other hand, you've got all the beer heads who are just kind of like, well, it's just lager, isn't it? You know, where, yeah. <laughs> where, why is it not like 9% and being yeah, juiced yeah. up to heaven and as hazy as it comes, you know? Well, okay, so let, well, let's take the beer heads first of all, because, um, <laughs> Because that has a different sort of frustration to it, um, because uh, you know we spend so much time agonising over this beer, and and then um, I've never looked an untapped in my life. I've never like well, I'll tell a lie. I've, I've looked at it, but I've never I've never given it much thought. You know, um, same with the other one, uh, rape beer, and. Um, uh, but all of a sudden, like the day the day the, the beer was out there, I was I was I, like agonizing over it, uh, and you know we we see we can see one person pick up that beer and say oh you know complex you know um, great level of bitterness you know big bit of graininess um, and. Um, you know, some people really get it, and they would give it a big, high, like a high mark. You know, four and a half, four, four seven, you know, five even. Mm. Um, and then we have other people picking up and just writing meh uh, <laughs> and giving it a two or a two point five. You know, but then I've, I've kind of, I've kind of become comfortable with that because. You know, a lot of people are gonna. So they, those people are comparing their drinking experience with big stouts and big dippers and you know, massive big just punchy flavors. And we're never. It's never gonna. We're a lager, but just we're never gonna. It's never gonna be that. Um, but you know, for every one of those, there's someone who understands the the, the complexities between our lager and say a more run of the mill like Australia or Peroni. You know, mm. um, and then even below that, there's the there's there's all the others. So like, so we're always gonna see that. And those craft beer drinkers, some of them will get it, some of them won't. Um, and, that, and that's fine. Um, for us, the big market obviously is the the the. The logger, logger, logger boys that you're talking about. Yep. Um, so it's hard, you know. Again, it's talking to those, you know, and making them understand that drinking better is better, you know, and drinking less but better quality and all the rest of it. So looking at that, then the market is sort of heading that way anyway. So logger is still 65% of the market, um, but standard logger is taking an absolute pounding. It's dropping percentage share year on year by about 13%, I believe. Um, Whereas world lager and craft lager are the only two, so like you've got, you've got standard lager, you've got um, premium, premium four percent, yep. you've got premium five percent, which would have been the old like, you know, so Stella and what Budweiser and you know those sort of styles. So premium fours, premium fives are both in decline. Um, standard lager is in huge decline. 
Um, and then the only growth area is world lager and um, and craft lager, whatever your your definition is of, yeah, yeah. of the craft lager. Um, but the world lager bit is, I mean, we're seeing it interest in Germany again because people understand that it's credible. It's all those buzzwords, you know, credible, authentic, you know, provenance, yeah. all these things that people are searching for because they want to feel that they're drinking better, and they are drinking better. So, um, so the the market is, seems to be going that way anyway. So yes, lager did take a bit of a pounding. But naturally, you know, those people who maybe 10 years ago or five years ago were drinking, you know, Carling and Foster's, they're now, they're not drinking it anymore. You know, the figures are there to show that they're not. It's, they're all in huge decline. And those people are now drinking more interesting beers because they're seeking out flavor and they're seeking out better drinking experiences. Mm. So, so for us, it's all music or ears yeah. really you know we're, we're, we're in there at the right time you know there's other lager producers who you started even before us so you know um, still love what the guys at Lost and Grounded are doing um, Keller Pills is a lovely oh, is a, is Keller a, Pills is like a, had one of those this week yeah lovely lager for the first time amazing you yeah know. and then um, you know the guys at Braybrook you got Donzoko mm. um, you know all these all these beers you know they're putting the focus in there and that's all great you know because everyone's shouting about why drink better lager you know and um, and for us you know our focus is on Manchester so um you know, so we just want the people of Manchester to see that what we're doing, and, and which is why it's nice to then um, get recognition, you know, from the Manchester Food and Drink Festival Awards and things like that. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of brewers now that are starting to turn their hands to lagers, particularly like you know a- ale brewers. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna make, I'm just gonna smash out a lager. Obviously, it's it's more a technical challenge, mm-hmm. and with you, you know, the setup you've got here, it, it doesn't look like it comes with a cheap price tag. I mean, like, how, how did you manage to fund all this? Yeah. So well, so all of us, um, except for Simon, all of us put in a figure each. Um, we also got some so. The three of us, we put in a cash sum each, and then we also put in um, like a small loan from the startup loans company, right. um, which is funded by the EU. Um, and then on top of that, we needed to then get the the actual brew house financed. So that was actually a fairly it was a much easier process than I expected. It was much easier than, than getting the mortgage in my house, <laughs> um, believe it or not. Um, and it's all secured against the kit itself. But yeah. that, and that just baffled my head that, uh, that, that we could get, someone could give us the money for the brewery and it was secured against the brewery. It's secured against the brewery itself, wow. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's a bit more, there's a bit more to it, but like, uh, it's just asset finance, isn't right. it? Just on a really big scale. Um, yeah. Because stainless steel holds its value, you know, so, so, you know, we paid for the installation and all the rest of it, but uh, but the tanks and all that, that has obviously net worth to yeah. the, you know, to the, to, you know, if it, if it, God forbid, touch wood, if anything was <laughs> to happen, um, you know, they have something tangible that they can sell to recoup mm. any losses. Yeah. You know, so so actually, it was it was a fairly simple process to go through that financing, but obviously, it needed a lot more finance than that. So that's where you know the rest of our money and the and the other little loans came from. So, uh, and then Simon came on the last last minute to help us through just that that um, that start. Amazing. What what's the big hope and the big dream for Manchester Union Brewery? I, where do you want to be in five years time? Oh, uh, in five years time. It, well, I know. Uh, Given on on the current growth plan, in five years' time, we're still going to be like um, a sub five thousand hectare brewery, you know. So we're still only going to be small in five in five years' time. What about like 
15, 20 years. Yeah, time. well, so this is so this is the dream. It, I would so as we get bigger, um, as we get bigger, um, we should be able to bring the price down a bit. Um, so right now we're selling, you know, it's a premium lager at a premium price, um, and bars will need so like it's almost like a, a stage of pricing in in the outlets where they might have like a standard lager and then a premium lager and then our lager, you know. Um, so the idea would be that in, if in you know five to ten years time we can bring that price down to compete more with say the German imports yeah um, and then all of a sudden um, we can then look to getting a wider distribution so like whereas now you walk in around northern quarter there might be two or three bars selling the beer they the dream would be that in five to ten years time there might be half of the bars in northern quarter selling the beer and wouldn't it be great to like um, you know like you afford yourselves that like we like every now and again a little bit of a, uh, a dream into the future, but wouldn't it be great to sponsor like one of the football teams and you yeah, know, and, yeah. <laughs> and be you know and be fundamental to to different parts in the city and being able to sponsor big events and being you know and being recognised as being you know like so you think of Newcastle, you think of Newcastle Brown, you know you you know so it would be nice to think of Manchester and Manchester Union Lager, you know, and City or United. Well, well, so I'll not, I'll not tell you who's who, but in our, in our, in the four, there's one who doesn't give a shit about football. There's one who's into um, Liverpool. Uh, there's one who's a massive City fan, and there's a United fan. So we're, we're, it's, it's all a little bit of a mix. I'll not say which one's which. Um, the probably the Liverpool fan is the one that's in the wrong, in the wrong city uh, to make it. Um, but. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, I guess that would come to the opportunities that there are. And um, if um, I'm not the city fan, by the way, <laughs> but um, but it does, it would feel nice to be involved with Man City just because it's, it's literally just across the way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not far um, from here, is it? And you you, you know you've got to you've got to admire how that how that's that's been handled over the last few years mm. so uh, and what they're doing. So it would be that would be quite nice. Absolutely, brilliant. Well. Thanks for your time, Will. Um, how can people taste your beer? Where, how can they find out about uh, what you guys so, Yeah, I mean, I would say we're adding uh, new suppliers, um, new new bars all the time. So just log on to uh, ManchesterUnionBrewery.com. Um, look on all our socials. Uh, we are on draft only at the moment, but on Thursday we're getting our first batch of bottles. So we're launching 500 ml bottles from Thursday. So we want to get it out into. Uh, some of the restaurants and hotels in Manchester that we that we can't currently do with draft, uh, and we want to get it into some bottle shops. So yeah, please look out for us, um, or come down to the brewery on a, on a Saturday. We're open two till two till seven, so we're only open five hours a week uh, at the brewery. But you can come down and get bottles from this Saturday um, here. Amazing. Then, yeah, keep an eye out for us. Brilliant. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Today's episode of the Hot Four Podcast was proudly sponsored by Brewbroker, the marketplace for the brewing industry. With over 500 traders already on board, Brewbroker will find your buyers for your spare capacity or the perfect brewery to create, contract, or white label a beer. Join today for free at brewbroker.com. That's B R E W B R O K E R.com. Create a supplier profile to fill capacity or sign up as a buyer to start your tender with their easy to use platform. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. 
Until next time, cheers. Hey,